0: We're going down to the river, down to the river, down to the river, the cray. Yeah, yeah. Let's get washed by the water, wash by the water, rise up in amazing grace. Let's go down, down, down to the river. You will leave the shade. Let's go down, down, down to the river. We have to make it happen. So I'm going to break down before I get into my texts and before I start preaching. I'm going to give you the culture of the river. Is that okay? And if you forget it, if you forget any of it, I've got good news. Go out the foyer doors, go to your left, down a little hallway, go into our office area, and you can walk around and look at the walls. Our cultural values is on the walls of our office because we believe in them that strongly. We believe in a culture of sacrifice at the river. A culture of sacrifice means that we give up something we love for something we love even more. I've got a ring up here. I ain't talking about a wedding ring. Culture of others. Philippians 2 and 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. A culture of others promotes community and evangelism. We want to be about others, not just ourselves. I want people to know I care about them. Not just what they can do for me, but I care about their soul. I care about them being discipled. I care about their spiritual growth. A culture of integrity. Who we are when no one is around is who we are. You may say that again. Who we are when no one is around is who we are. That's integrity. Integrity is I'm going to do the right things when nobody's even looking. Who I am. Hey, listen, I tell people all the time, reputation is who people think you are. Character is who God knows you are. I don't want my reputation to be right and my character to be wrong because it never works out that way. A culture of spirituality. We want spirituality here at the river. We are a spirit-led and spirit-driven church. We believe Galatians 5. We believe that there are works of the flesh and there are the fruit of the spirit. And what is the Spirit saying to us should be a common question in our culture. We are to be sensitive to the Spirit. Can I be honest with you? I want this front full during worship because that means we're following the Spirit. We're we're here for God and nobody else. We're going to have altar calls every service because it gives somebody a chance to respond to the Word of God that is preached. This starts with having a defined and disciplined relationship with Christ. Our own spiritual health. I want you to, to write this down. If you don't hear nothing else, i say. This is very key. Our own spiritual health is our personal responsibility. It's our personal responsibility. Nobody can make you spiritually healthy but you. You've got to engage. You've got to be connected. And here it is. A carnal leader is an assassin in the church. They destroy everything. However, a spiritual leader is a source of life and peace in the church. Being spiritual demands a life of daily prayer and time in God's Word. Now, this is one of my favorites, a culture of excellence. I still, I don't know if it's in the Bible, I haven't looked it up, but I still believe cleanliness is next to godliness. I believe it. I use that for my own personal agenda. But I do believe that we are to be good stewards with what the Lord has given us. That's our tie, this building our facilities our campus because decency and order matters can I hear an amen Amen. a culture of gratitude people should find joy when being around us if people come to the church the river and they leave mad angry and bitter then we've done we've done the wrong thing at the river that Sunday people should find joy in being around us there are no little jobs there's no big jobs everybody who serves at the river they matter and the job they do at the river matters and we must make a conscious effort for every person to feel valued in that role we don't just think about appreciation we we actually express appreciation look if you think you appreciate somebody they don't know you appreciate them you got to express that a culture of accountability it means that we have the resolve to own up to commitments and promises that we've made. We're accountable. It also means being more, being there for one another and clear in our communication. We've got to be open. And not, not only this, when you talk about accountability, I don't want to be a church that ignores conflict. You, you, you listening? If I'm accountable to you and I have conflict with you, then I'm going to practice Matthew 18. I'm going to come to you. And we need to address the situation. And if you and I can't agree, we're going to go get a witness. And we're going to go sit somewhere. And we're going to let somebody else witness. And if that doesn't work, we'll bring it before the church. That's the third step. And you've heard me say, we've never got to the third step. But conflict doesn't just go away. It needs to be talked about. And it needs, Now, I can tell you this. If you're going to have resolution to conflict, it's got to be both people willing to bend a little bit. And give in a little bit to what they think is right. Effective leaders are drama reducers and not enhancers. Brother Shock says this. You carry two buckets. One is full of gasoline and the other one's full of water. And you decide what you're going to pour on the fire. You're going to put it out? Or you're going to give it the fuel to burn even higher? A culture of trust. I trust God. That's vertical. I trust people. That's horizontal. Let me say this. You can't be a part of a church and not trust. And the enemy will do everything that he can to make you not trust others. We've got to strive to trust. And that is me being respectful, having an open mind. A culture of collaboration. We celebrate diversity. We embrace it. And we want to dream. I want to dream at the river. Look, if you're here and you don't want to go any further, then this may not be the place for you. Because I refuse to stop dreaming about how big the kingdom of God could be. I refuse. I can't. And I want to collaborate. I want people to tell me their dreams and their heartbeat. But also we've got to understand this. We can dream, but if God has called us to the river, then he's called us to the culture, the mission, and the vision of the river. Therefore, Hebrews 13 is vital. You can't have 35 people. You can have different associations of pastor and leadership, but you really can only have one lead pastor that is setting, setting the example and the bar for what God wants to do, and everything else flows. Now I've got to be under God. I've got to be under Jesus Christ. I've got to be listening to the Spirit. I've got to be godly minded. But we've got to make sure that Hebrews thirteen is in play. And Hebrews thirteen just simply says, "Obey those that have rule over you. Submit yourself to them, for they watch for your soul." Now I can't abuse. I can't abuse that. I've got. To, I've got to do. I've got to be after God's own heart in the way that I lead. And our hope for you is to get you connected through serving. Matter of fact. Apostle Paul says, we've been saved to serve. Tap your neighbor and say, you've been saved to serve. Which leads me to my text, and you don't have to stand. I'll let you sit down. I'll let you sit down tonight as I give our text. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince. Of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, come on somebody, being rich in mercy because of the great love, Not a result of works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works which God prepared beforehand. That we should walk in them. We were created with a purpose. And that purpose is to make a difference in someone's life. And to advance the kingdom of God. And the best way for us to do that. Is by stepping out and fulfilling a role as a servant in the kingdom of God. At the River Church, we have what we call the dream team. And our dream team is where community happens. It's amazing. Brother Shane, Sister Lake can do a good, great job with our, our volunteer team. But tonight, I want to continue, and I want to recruit, get you to be a part. And if you were a part and you're no longer a part, I want to, I want to give you Bible for why we need you to serve. And I want to talk to you on this topic, a table and a towel. A table, notice I didn't say a microphone or a pulpit, I said a table and a towel. When displaying diamonds, a jeweler places them against a black cloth because diamonds shine more brilliantly against a dark backdrop. Before he describes God's grace, Paul wants the Ephesian Christians to know how dark things were without Christ in their life. So Apostle Paul places the diamond of grace against the backdrop of sin so that grace will glitter even more. What we've got to learn is when we serve, His grace should always be brighter than our talent. Come on, somebody. His grace is way more vital in people's lives and in my life than my talent that I bring to the kingdom. Always remember, everything we do expresses what He has done in our lives and what He can do in someone else's life. That's what serving is about. It's telling people, He's done this in my life, and because He did it in my life, I believe He can do it in your life. And this is why Apostle Paul begins with a coroner's report. He said, every person outside of Jesus Christ is spiritually dead. Thank you, Apostle Paul separated from God in the name of the graveyard is trespasses and sins In verse 2 and 3 Paul describes the three locks of the coffins that keep people there the world the ways of this world the devil the ruler of the power of the air and the flesh our fleshly desires And our situation in that cemetery was so grim that there was no way we could create or find a way of escape. We were children under wrath, subjects of Satan's kingdom and under God's judgment. And being in Satan's kingdom is like being a living dead. In it, we had mobility, but no life. That is no spiritual life. Indeed, those who are spiritually dead are unable to respond to spiritual things. There is no capacity to relate to the spiritual realm. And no clever arrangement of bad eggs can result in a good omelet. (laughs) You put them in whatever order you want to put them in. You can break them up and try to make an omelet. But if they're bad eggs, they're bad eggs. And can I be honest, everybody's a bad egg that doesn't have Jesus Christ in their life because he changes everything. I couldn't imagine my life without Jesus Christ in it. I couldn't imagine it. We need him. We need deliverance. We all were born into sin and shaping into iniquity. I need him every day. He helps me be a better person every day. And that's why Paul introduces two words that change everything, but God. These two words remind us that salvation came at God's initiative. We didn't initiate salvation. He initiated salvation. He came and found us. And why did he act? Because he is rich in mercy and because of his great love that he had for us. Motivated by love, he extends grace and salvation. And that's the gospel message. What did God do? He made us alive with Christ. He gave us spiritual life. When you are dead, only a resurrection can help you. And that's what Jesus Christ came to do is give every individual a resurrection. He says, look, you're going to be baptized and you're going to bury the dead man. But when you come out of that water, I'm glad today that I don't have to live without a spirit against the dark backdrop of death. We see the glory of resurrection life. We understand Mark 16 and 16. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. And that leads to Galatians 3 and 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ. Put on Christ. But it doesn't stop there. Then you go to Romans 8 and 11. If the spirit of him. Who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells uh, in you. I'm glad today that we got resurrection power. I'm glad that the grave is not the end of our life. That one day we'll get up out of that grave when that last trumpet sounds. I'm glad today to know him on that level. I love what Smith Wigglesworth said. He said, enter into the promises of God. It is your inheritance. You will do more in one year if you are really filled with the Holy Ghost than you can do in 50 years apart from the Holy Ghost that's why Apostle Paul says in verse 6, when God saved us, he relocated us. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens. After we're resurrected with the power of the Holy Spirit, now we've got power to tread upon serpents. Now we've got power to lay hands on the sick. Now we've got power to say in Jesus' name. And demons have to flee. Paul said, if you go to Ephesians 1:20 20 through 20-21, Paul said previously, That Jesus was seated in the heavenly places with resurrection, power, and dominion. Now he says God relocated us there too in Christ Jesus. Believers are participants with Christ in the spiritual reality. We are linked with him in union with him. And this is how you have access to your spiritual privileges. To every spiritual blessing that God has placed in your account is by having resurrection power. And by every day tapping into the name that's above every other name. Listen, you come in my house, I would really like if you asked permission to come in first, not just open my door, come in. And I would really probably be offended if you go straight to my pantry or my refrigerator. Can you imagine a stranger walking up in your house saying, Look, you got any cheese dip? You got any crackers? You got any Gatorade? It's offensive. It's weird. You're probably going to call the police. That's probably what you're going to do. Uh, some, some of you may take matters in your own hand, but most of us are going to call the police. But if you got kids or you got a family that lives in your home, my kids can go to my pantry anytime in my refrigerator without asking. Can I tell you, when you are born again of water and of spirit, you have privileges in the kingdom of God. You don't have to ask permission to go to the spiritual refrigerator and get what you need. You can go to the pantry. If you need joy, you can go get it. If you need healing, you can go get it. If you need deliverance, you can go get it. It's every day. He said, I've relocated you. I've given you spiritual favor. Ephesians 2 and 7. It is grace that makes Christianity different from every other religion. Other religions tell you what you must do to get to God. Christianity tells you what God did to get to you. You know what that means? When you get to heaven, there's not going to be any strutting peacocks. There's not going to be. Whoever makes it to heaven is going to realize the only reason we made it is because God came and got us. He robed himself in flesh. He came to this earth to redeem us. They crucified him and buried him. And three days later, he got up and he said, look, after his ascension or before his ascension, he said, go wait in the upper room and you're going to be empowered. Come on high. Glad. I'm glad today. I could tell you I'm not here by my works. Of course, I've got to be disciplined. I've got to do everything I know to do, but I'm here because every day I get up, there's new mercy, there's new grace. Every day I get up, I've got to tap into the same power you've got to tap into, or I'm not going to make it. Power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 10 of Ephesians 2. Although we're not saved by good works, you are saved for good works. See, a lot of people mix it up. They think, well, I can be saved and do anything I want. That's not what Paul said. Paul said, after you're saved, you're saved for good works. Now, I do things differently than the way I used to do them. That's why I've been transformed. We are his workmanship. Paul says, created in Christ Jesus for good works. After you are saved, that's when you step into serving in the good works. After you're saved, you understand that God is crafting your life into a piece of art. And everyone, everyone here needs to understand that the journey doesn't end in salvation. That's the beginning of the journey. Now he starts working on you and doing something with you. You're being recreated to do good works. This is where daily commitment comes in and discipline and faithfulness and obedience. And you operate in the fruit of the Spirit. And you get to experience the gifts of the Spirit. And, and you start loving people that you used to couldn't love. Man, they used to work your nerves. And now all of a sudden you have a compassion for them. And you're like, what is going on? That's good works he's working in your life. A good work is a divinely prescribed action that benefits others in such a way that God is glorified. Meaning God saved you for his purpose to show somebody else the love that he's working through your life. Now watch this. This is where it's going to get a little tight. This is why there are so many Christians who feel unfulfilled or are unfulfilled, and miserable because they've never gotten around to the work that God has for them. They want their personal kingdom, and they don't want his kingdom. They want to be saved and satisfied instead of saved and spent. And you hear me, there are two types of growth in a church. There's one that is unhealthy, and there's one that is healthy. One is called symbiotic growth, and the other one is called parasitic growth. You know what, you know what parasitic growth is? Parasitic parasitic growth occurs in one organism because it's feeding off another, but it's not healthy. Sing to me, preach to me, pray for me, serve me, counsel me, help me, but don't ever expect anything from me. Here's the definition of a parasite. An organism that lives in in or on an organism of another species, its host, and benefits by deriving nutrients at the other's expense. A person who habitually relies on, own, or exploits others and gives nothing in return. All they do is take, 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 take. take. And they wonder why they feel like they're always going to blow up. I'm just about to blow up. About to lose my mind. because that's not the way the kingdom works. If you take, 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 you're going to be unhealthy because that's not the way he made the kingdom. The kingdom is I take, but I give. I take, but I give. I take, but I give. The Bible, look, he warns us of this. He says, don't get caught up in symbiotic, I mean, in parasitic growth. We're going to get to symbiotic. Don't get caught up in parasitic growth. He warns us. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. That's what Paul said. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Amen to that. I went to get an oil change today, and they come out and said, your oil change is going to be $400. I said, no, I'm going to pray over my old oil. (laughs) That's a true story. I said, can you guide me out of this oil changing bin? I got to go. I got to pray. And I prayed over my oil. God going to help it. If the engine blows up, it's under warranty. $400. What? what? Hey, it's difficult times. Go to the grocery store try to get groceries. But watch verse 2. It's not just about finances. But for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable. You ever met anybody like that? Slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous. I just like that word, treacherous. Reckless. Here it is. Parasite. Swollen with conceit lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God now I know what you're thinking those worldly people how dare them worldly people watch the next verse put verse 5 up there having the appearance of godliness they look like a Christian but they swole up with their own ego and their own pride and their own But denying its power because they don't, they, they don't what I just said that Paul said about the Spirit changing us and transforming, they don't believe that. They deny its power to change. Wow. They don't go around saying, I deny the power of the Holy Spirit to change. No, their actions speak that. They act like the Spirit didn't have the power to change their attitude and change their outlook. And oh, and people wouldn't like this. This is why some people couldn't sit under Pastor Paul. He said, Avoid such people. That's what he said. Got to break this. And the only way to break this is through serving. Tiff and I have a principle that we love everyone, but we invest in responders. People who want to grow and give back to others, because that is symbiotic growth. You know what symbiotic growth is? Symbiotic growth is the growth that occurs between two organisms where both benefit. A healthy Christian is interested in symbiotic growth. And this is what they say I have needs. But I'm willing to give too because everyone needs to benefit in the kingdom of God. I've got a need today. But my brother or sister's got a need or a person that just walked in. Their need is greater than my need today. I'm going to set my need to the side. I'm going to go. Come on, I want to have symbiotic growth. And I believe that this is the divine order of the kingdom. God first, others second, and I am third. got to live that way. Now watch this. Jesus showed up on this earth to do two things. Number one, to save the lost. And the second thing he showed up to do was to build his church. And these two things work together hand in hand, making the number one responsibility of the church evangelism. Making it the only organization that exists for the benefit of non-believers and non-members. That's the church. Let me say this, because we're talking about serving, and I'm getting ready to get into positions, but let let me say this. Every born-again believer carries the responsibility of Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Everybody in this building that has been born again has been commissioned to go win souls and to disciple people. So no matter what I'm doing, no matter where I'm going, I have to be a servant to others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look, I'm just a poor beggar that found bread and now trying to get bread to some other poor beggar that needs bread. Plus, I've never met a cynical, bitter, and gossiping soul winner. I've never. I've never met a disgruntled soul winner who loves people and wants to see souls added to the kingdom. Investors typically have fresh oil in their lives because they understand the oil is not multiplied in the keeping. The oil is multiplied in the outpouring. I've never heard anyone who is bandaging wounds or creating an atmosphere for God to inhabit complain about the style of music that is being sung on the platform. Personal preference should never exceed biblical mission in the Great Commission. If it does, we stop celebrating people getting filled, delivered, restored, renewed, baptized, and discipled. And as a result, the church becomes a place of contention instead of a place of refuge and a spiritual hospital for those that are sick. It's not about me. It's not about my preference all the time. My opinion matters. But when it starts blocking the Great Commission and evangelism and souls being at it, the kingdom of God is opposite than the world. The last is rewarded over the first. So even though I pastor, I've got to make sure that I'm keeping the form of of a servant because the last is always going to be rewarded over those that think they're first. What is the context of the statement? Imagine you love Jesus enough to give your career aspirations and reputation. Not only that, but you traveled with him from town to town for three years, witnessing healings, miracles, and unmatched mercy and truth ministered with love. Then all of a sudden, your world is turned upside down. Jesus starts talking about death, and he starts talking about his death. But, but it seems implausible. After all, he called Lazarus out of the tomb. Then on the road to Capernaum, you feel the heat and anger and jealousy twist your face when another disciple mentions he is more suited for God's work than you are. I'm more valuable than you. I could do it better than you. I'm more gifted. I'm more talented you thinking, is there truth to what they say? Later that day, Jesus' eyes pierce yours. What were you arguing about on the road? He asked the question: What were you and the other disciple talking about on the road? And you telling, well, we was arguing on who had the greatest ability. And resting a hand on your shoulder, Christ's words affirm what he affirms what he models. Mark 9 and 35. Anyone. Who wants to be first must be the very last. It must be the servant of them all. That word servant in the Greek literally means to kick up dust. As though in a rush to meet a need. If we love others as ourselves, we will deliberately choose a life of serving. Rushing to meet the needs of others when they need us. And I need someone to understand, your giftings are treasure in the kingdom of God. But treasures that are locked up and hidden, they benefit no one. Let's say you got a beautiful set of china, sterling silver and fine crystal that you have never used to serve one meal. You're wasting the potential of those dishes. They cannot do what they're supposed to do sitting on a shelf people bought them for you to use treasure is useless unless you expose it potential can never be attained if it has no opportunity to give back and i love what john f kennedy said during his inauguration to be the president of the united states ask not what your country can do for you but what can you do for your country and can I, can I use his words today? Our heartbeat has to be not what the church can do for us, but what can we do to help others that are coming into the kingdom of God. Come on, it's about serving. It's about others. It's, about, uh, it's not about me. How can I give? How can I help? Apostle Paul said this. He said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Because re- releasing what you have received benefits others holding on to a treasure forfeits the blessing inherent in the treasure and no one profits from it but like a seed you've got to sow that seed into the ground for it to release the potential that's stored up in it you've got to sow into the kingdom of god to release the potential that god has placed in your life and please hear me clearly actions not intentions scare the devil We can intend all day long. He's not scared of that. We can say we're going to do, we're going to become more faithful, we're going to serve more, we're going to show up more, we're going to love others more. He's not intimidated by that. But when you start taking action, when you start taking action, when you start saying I'm a lively stone that makes up the kingdom of God, when you start saying I've been uniquely crafted, Well, preacher, I'm an introvert. That's all right. Introverts work behind the scenes. Extroverts open the doors. Everybody has a place in the kingdom of God. And that's why I love this being a multi-level church. Everybody who comes into this place, no matter what walk of life they're on, has a place to serve in the kingdom of God. And here it is. You ready for revelation? Everyone has a unique smile that God gave you. And your smile can bring light to somebody's dark world. Your personality can become the catalyst of connection for someone to find Christ. Our prayers are the rope that pulls them out of despair and calls the prodigal home. Our faithfulness can inspire someone to be more available to the kingdom of God. Serving the kingdom is not about selfishness, selfishness, it's about selflessness about me giving and I feel like I need to make this statement I won't be much longer musicians you can get ready I need to make this statement tonight because I feel it the church is growing I don't know if you know this we had 412 people here on Sunday we did 412 are you ready from Sunday to Sunday we baptized 10 people in Jesus name had 5 received the gift of the Holy Ghost and I'll tell you this it's overwhelming. That's why i fought so hard in the last 10 years for this not to be a preacher-centered church. Can't be. I tell people all the time, if, if you put me in the place of Jesus Christ in your life, you're going to be disappointed a whole lot. I, I can't think of any texts I've never responded to. I can't think of any times that I was called and answered and didn't go. But trying to reach over 500 people that are here is hard. Phone goes off all day, and I love it. I love every minute of it. I'm not complaining. I don't want to do anything else. I love people. I love pastoring. But somebody said to me this week that the river is one of the fastest growing churches in the United Pentecost Church in Louisiana, in the organization. I believe we're one of the fastest growing churches in general in this area. And I can tell you this, God wants us to add more. And He wants us to bring more people in. And what am I going to do? tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to structure. And I'm going to make this a church where everybody serves. Everybody's reading their word and praying and advancing the kingdom. And I'm going to do everything I can do to be there for everybody that I can. But I believe that God, 500 is not the limit. I, I rebuke that in Jesus' name. There are more coming in. We're already over 500. So... It was about two years ago, the Lord began to deal with me and my pastor. We began to talk about this. I said, man, I'm tired. He said, well, put in place the Jethro principle. Jethro was Moses' father-in-law. Exodus 18, Moses' father-in-law told him, he said, you got to go choose capable men. And you got to make them leaders of the people. Leaders over thousands of hundreds, fifties, and tens. And he says, Moses, teach others. Appoint others. And pour into others so we took that and we started appointing we started appointing pastors and leaders because i must say this and maybe i'll regret it later on this is my personal opinion i'm gonna say people who can't trust others to serve in the kingdom it's not a trust issue it's a personal insecurity issue and people that can't empower others, they have to be the center of the room. What that does is that limits. I can't touch as many people. I can touch six pastors that can touch leaders. And those leaders can touch volunteers. And then volunteers can touch the church body. And then the church body touches the sinners, And then the... And I can tell you tonight, I'm not insecure if anybody wants my position. Because I'll give it to them tomorrow. They can have it. I... It ain't that big of a deal. Hey, I'm just going to do what I do, baby boo, but it's not that big of a deal. So we took Jethro, and we started appointing leaders and team leaders and pastors. And I know what you were thinking. Some of you were thinking, why we got all these pastors? Because i got to have them. Because the harvest God's bringing in, we need more laborers. We don't need fewer laborers. And then you get to Acts 6, and you find this, Acts Acts 6, 2 through 4. And the 12 summoned the full number of disciples and said, it is not right. That we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. That's what they said. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who will appoint to this duty, and whom, we'll, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to what? Prayer and the ministry of the word. Can I be honest with you? My two main responsibilities as a lead pastor is prayer and the ministry of the word. I've got to give people the word. I'm held held accountable for that. But watch what happens in Acts 6 through 7. And the word of God continued to what? The more volunteers they recruited to serve, the more the word of God increased. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. When we're out to build a kingdom of people, a kingdom of people, to where it's not just about one individual or two individuals or three individuals. It's about everybody. Then what happens is the Word of God starts spreading. And then you start telling people, hey, look, you can read your Bible every day and pray. and You can, you can live a life of a conqueror and more than a conqueror. And you can you can love people and win people to God. And you can serve the kingdom. And you have a place... Because at the river, we're not about pulpits and microphones and platforms. I don't know what you're about, but I'm I'm about tables and towels. That's what I do. Every day I wake up and I say, who can I sit at a table with? And who can I bring a towel to? Every day. If you wake up every day or even on Sunday when you come here, who can I bring to my table? And who can Look, when you say table, you know what the Hebrews think? The table of showbread. Where every Sabbath, they put fresh bread on that table, which represents the Word of God. You know what we need more? We need more tables and less less TV trays. And we got too many people bringing TV trays to church. I need you to bring tables to where you can sit down and break the bread with people. The bread of living. Bread of life. The table represents fellowship, relationship, teaching and accountability, serving with each other is being a team. It's each other. It's a lifeline. It's sitting at a table, it's breaking bread. It's talking the word of God. It's going to each other's homes and, and, and eating food, because that's what we do. That's what we do, baby boo. It's about a table. But then you've you got a towel. Listen, can I, can I say something? I want to be rude. If you eat with the same people every Sunday, please do me a favor. At least once every three months, change your table out and let somebody have a place so you can minister to them. And I'll close with this. John 13, 4 through 9. So he got up from the meal. Talking about Jesus. This is at the Last Supper. And he took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? I love Simon Peter. Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you understand. No, said Peter, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but wash my hands and wash my head as well. My boy Simon Peter's all over the place. Verses 12 through 17. And when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. And he said, Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them, You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. So when we don't serve, what we're telling Jesus Christ is we're greater than you. He said, you're the messenger. You can't even serve. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them We have an obligation to serve once we're saved. Our communities, our church, our family. Think about this. What if everyone showed up here just for themselves? There would be no children's ministry, no music, no worship. There'd be no greeters, no ushers. What if? The master was searching for a vessel to use. Before him were many. Which one would he choose? Take me, cried. The gold one, I'm shiny and bright. I'm of great value and I did things just right. My beauty and luster will outshine the rest. And for someone like you, Master, gold would be the best. Master passed on with no word at all and looked at a silver urn, narrow and tall. I'll serve you, dear Master. I'll pour out your wine. I'll be on your table whenever you dine. My lines are so graceful, my carving so true. And silver will certainly compliment you. Unheeding the Master passed. Onto to the vessel of brass Wide mouthed and shallow and polished like glass Hear, hear, cried the vessel I know I will do Place me on your table for all men to view Look at me, called the goblet of crystal so clear Though fragile I am, I will serve you with fear The master came to the next vessel of wood Polished and carved, it solidly stood You may use me, dear master, the wooden bowl said But I'd rather you use me for fruit, not for bread master looked down on a vessel of clay empty and broken Broken, it helplessly lay no hope had the vessel that the master might choose to cleanse and make whole to fill and to use oh this is the vessel I've been hoping to find I'll mend it and use it and make it all mine I need not the vessel with the pride of itself nor one that is narrow to sit on the shelf nor one that is big mouth and shallow and loud nor one that displays its contents so proud then gen- gently he lifted the vessel of clay mended and cleansed it and filled it that day spoke kindly to it and there's work you must do just pour out to others and I'll pour into you come on somebody you got to understand how broken you were but it's not over. If you'll pour out to others, He'll pour into you. I don't care how bad your life's been. All that matters is if when you pour out, why He pours into you. Let's stand. Listen, we got a table. We got a table full of ministries, we got a table full of things to do. We got a table full, we got needs in the church. We got things that we need in order for the kingdom to be advanced. Brother Michael told me that our children's ministry last week was completely full. Our nursery is full. We got to have a second nursery. Hey, look, if you're part of the the ushers and the greeters, that's probably the most important team because people get to experience the love of people when they come in here. You pour it out. I'm off my notes it's okay I'm just telling you there's a place for you to serve listen if you want to learn about prayer we got a prayer team we got some elders that will teach you about prayer if you want to serve a meal show up on Thursday nights and feed somebody I know you love them but hear me and I'm done my my wife's going to get on to me when we get home She told me to be quick. If you don't pour out, or if I don't pour out, and I don't serve, I'm going to become cynical. I'm going to get in my flesh. I'm going to become swollen up with pride. I'm not going to talk about what God's doing and the revival He's bringing. I'm going to talk about everything that I would change if I was leading. But if every day I woke up, I got a table and I got a towel, can I help? Who can I invite over? Who can I cook for? Who can I pray for?